0: Psalms 127 and verse 1. We're going to read the whole passage, but let's read verse 1 together. Ready, begin. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. He says it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Though children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Now look at verse 5. What's the first word? Happy. Can you say the word happy in a very happy way? Let's say it. One, two, three. Happy. You didn't say it good enough, all right? Let's say it again. Ready? Happy, happy is the man, it says man, how many homes do you go to and we're really happy? (laughs) Okay, I want you to remember if you don't remember anything else out of the message, remember this this verse says happy. So there must be some keys in this passage that help us find happy because it seems like in America we don't have much happy in the homes. Uh, They're trying to fix some problems. Which school is that out in Montana? Missouri. Missouri. Trying to fix some problems, they decided this year they're going to uh, have all the parents sign waivers, and they're going to go back to biblical discipline in the school. Now, some of the, by the way, that's not going to help much if it doesn't happen in the home. Okay, because I have found that if you do not, it's not reinforced in the home, it's going to go nowhere. Now, they're going to reinforce biblical discipline in the schools. You say that's really harsh. Well, the parents, some of the parents suggested that you bring in therapists. We've been trying that for decades. They bring in therapists. The therapist will just listen to the child Johnny's problems. That's what a parent is for. We listen. But if they're three or four or five, before the age of seven, uh, they do need to be taught how to obey. Uh, We don't need to just teach them how to be the expert lawyer, right? And most of the children of our society are lawyers. Uh, They know how to defend themselves, uh, but they do not know the truth, all right? It says in this passage in verse 5, Happy is the man that hath his quiver. Look at what it says. Full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Back in the 1950s, 1960s, I, by the way, I did a little study about this. In America, we had almost four children per home, average, uh, in the United States of America. Almost four. But now, the average in America is two point, uh, 2.4. And that's only because of Hispanic immigration. And in some parts of the world, it's even falling below that. And depending on some studies in America, it's below two, um, two cho- below two children per family. Civilization cannot continue to exist if it goes below below two point two. And you see other nations in the world, and I looked at the world map and looked at the population. And there's homes over in some, all of, by the way, all of like Uganda where we have missionaries there. We'll meet them in a few months, some missionaries from Uganda and and missionaries in Togo, West Africa. We send our missions money over there to help them. And and in these places, they have six per home. The average is six children per home. Now, in the United States, if you have more than four, people say you have a really big family. How are you going to manage, right? Right. If you have six, because I I grew up in a family of six, okay? And 35 years ago when I was born, and my parents had number four, because my brother and I came as twins, okay? And we were three and four right there. We were number three and four to the family. Everybody thought in Maine that we had gone off, my parents had gone off the rocker because we had four kids in the home. And then when they had the last two, are those all yours? (laughs) They would ask my mom as we drove our little station wagon around, you know. They thought it was so strange that a family would have six. This week, I uh, met, a, met an individual, a man, and uh, he's hopefully going to come visit this church. And, and, you know, God puts people in your path to encourage and help you, and, and sometimes uh, God just knows what you need, right, to encourage you in the way. And uh, this man, interestingly, his mom worked as a therapist helping special needs and helping uh, kids who were troubled youth from age 13 and up over in Vermont. And she had a lot of good, good advice that she gave about that and the things that they would implement. They would take a kid away from all of his surroundings, no phone, amen, no electronics for an entire year, away from all their old friends, and they would put that kid, and the kid would have to build their own house, they have to cut their own wood, and they would live off-grid for an entire year on this property. Okay, It was a state-funded program over in Vermont. And she told me about it. I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, but you know what? The problem was some of them kids, she told me, they would go back home, and they couldn't figure out why. All of a sudden, they came back, and they were back into all that stuff again. And uh, she said she tried to get the school to implement drug tests for the parents too. Um, now, I tell you, it was a unique time, and she was trying to help people. And the state, of course, shut that school down later on. And, uh, but, you know, she, she talked to me about how she had spent years of her life trying to help people. And uh, her son, um, he was talking to me about the faith and things that he has learned and, and uh, walking, walking and trying to understand the will of God. And it was neat speaking with somebody who has grown up in this community. And, and the mom asked me a question. She said, why is it that, she said, I don't understand. Why it is that a few, a few years back, she's like, when I was growing up, a family would have five kids. And if they had five kids, one of them would become a pastor. She says, now that doesn't seem to happen very often. I said, well, not very many families have five kids. Um, but she said, out of the fi- if they had five, one of them would become a preacher. One of them would go into the ministry. And she said, it's so sad. The churches, there's no ministers. And she was talking about that. And, you know, I tell you, my friend, there is a need. There is a great need for young men to go into the ministry. And I thank God for one of our own, for Kamari. And uh, you, you love Miss Linda. You go up here, give her a hug, okay? She's missing her son, all right? He's not missing mommy yet, but he will. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he turned 18, and now he's, I uh, got it all figured out, right? now. <laughs> but I remember 18. That was a fun, fun year. But he's off in Bible college. And, you know, some friends of mine from California messaged me yesterday the ones who wrote this book. Guess who they're having over for dinner tonight after church? having Kamari over. You know, I said thank you. Thank you for having him over. And and uh, I had let my friends out there know, Kamari's coming. Would you befriend him? And he's going to have some new grandparents for friends, and that'll be good for him. And uh, they love the Lord, and and they've loved that ministry for years. Faithful people. You know, every kid needs good examples that are older people in their life. That's why we have a multi-generational church. That's why we don't divide everybody up and segregate them in church, okay? Because you create generational gaps, and, uh, and the kids need to learn from the younger, and uh, the youth need to help the younger kids, and there needs to be a generational mix in the house of God. It's healthy. By the way, in the Bible, you never see them divided by grades, In the Bible, you never see them separated like like we see in today. We learned that from the public education, from evolution, and uh, maybe we would be wise to return to the Bible. Look back in verse 5, though, because I got a little distracted, but that was good, right? Uh, That was intentional, okay? I've been meditating on that all week, all right? It was not just a bunny rabbit trail for no reason. It says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. He doesn't say happy is the man, right, that has children who go and do this and that. No, he says happy is the man that has quiver full of them. Look in the next part of the verse speaking of these children. They shall not be ashamed. They shall not be ashamed. But they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. They're going to be bold, man. They're not going to be ashamed. We have never seen such a generation of young people with their heads down. They have no courage. They have no boldness. They're ashamed and uh, they're embarrassed. They live a life of embarrassment. Look back in the beginning of the passage. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain. They build it. He describes this house that's been built. He says, by the way, It's a happy house if the children are in the faith. He says it's a happy house if the Lord is the one building it. But he says if the Lord's not building it, he says they labor in vain that build it. And in verse 2, he describes this vain labor. He says they're waking up early. They're sitting up late to eat the bread of sorrows. You say they're working so hard to barely make it by, but they're still sad. Why? Because... Pursuit without Christ is nothing. It's a vain pursuit. We live in a world that's filled with a lot of ideas and ideals on how to build a Christian home. Just a few, uh, few days ago, I heard some advice uh, from a young mother. And don't worry, you don't know her. She's not related to any of y'all. She doesn't live here, okay? She doesn't live in this estate. But uh, she was trying to give my, my wife some advice. And uh, she told my wife that in her home, They raise their kids with no rules. That explained a lot, okay? With all due respect, it explained the last 10 years, okay? Every time I've interacted with those precious children, the extreme disrespect coming out of them. Why? Because if you raise a kid with no rules, they become the rule. And when they grow up, they do not fear God. They do not fear God. Their parents fear them instead, okay? Because they're raised without the fear of God. Uh, There's a lot of ideas out there, a lot of therapy ideas, by the way, that did not come from the Bible. We try to figure out what works, but it seems we may have forgotten that God left us clear instructions on how to have a family of faith. Man, I sure am glad God left me clear instructions because sometimes it's depressing, right? You look around at the world and you see what's happening, And it gets so depressing, so many voices, so much advice. The Lord gives good advice. We try to figure out what works, and most of our efforts are focused on self-improvement. Let's be better than the world. Uh, Sometimes we can be contented uh, if simply uh, the the child becomes a good person. Wouldn't it be great if they just become good? Uh, Kind, nice, avoid extreme lifestyles, live close by. But my friends, holiness is still biblical and it's appropriate. And as a basic, basically the rule has become in our society as long as we all have our family and uh, together we'll be okay. If we have each other and we're kind, that's all good. But the modern Christian home is built entirely upon a foundation of selfishness and it's why the kids don't stay in the faith. And I don't say that to be harsh. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be an expert. I just have meditated on this book my entire life. And I remember as a little child, a little 10, 11 year old, thinking, man, you know what, if we would change this in our home, right? Okay, I grew up in a Christian home. But if we would change these few things in our home and we do it like the Bible says, I just wonder if things might be different. I used to wonder that as a child. I used to read the Bible and think, man, that wasn't being judgmental or harsh against my parents, right? My parents loved the Lord and they tried to do what's right. But understanding this is what the Bible teaches, let's get back to the Bible, Instead of reading th- 10,000 books, let's just go back to the Word of God. If we're going to stand for Jesus, we're going to have to stand against the culture. And what does a family of faith look like? Because it's hard to find that today. Um, and if somebody like uh, you see today, right, uh, one, one family gets on TV, like the Duggard family, right? And then what do they do? They try to attack them and find something wrong and something happens in the home. or uh, I mean, uh, they did a lot of things right, right? And so we're looking for answers, and sometimes uh, we look... Uh, out there and we say, man, where are the answers? What does a family of faith look like? Look, if I didn't believe that the Bible has answers and if we follow his plan that would work, I'd just stop preaching because look, you see around you in society, families, even Christian homes, crumbling, okay? And, and, and people growing up in the faith, but crumbling. So if you didn't believe the Bible has answers, we might as well stop preaching it, but I do believe the Bible has answers, and I believe that God has answers. If we come back to his plan, we can establish homes of faith, families of faith, and look, we don't have to make generational sins. We do not have to continue in the sins of our forefathers. We can press forward. We can help, and many of you have a burden for your grandchildren. We can help them come into faith. We can help them, in the word of God but we need help we need the word of God let's look at what the bible says first this morning and let's look at a sol- the solid foundation a solid foundation by the way it's hard to teach on these things at the age of 35 but look if i wait till i'm 55 20 years from now my girls will be grown up okay they'll be 24 she'll be 24 She'll be 23, she'll be 21. I cannot wait 20 years to teach on this, okay? So I'm gonna try to do my best. And if I say something stupid or foolish, you just go back to the Word of God, okay? All right? But a solid foundation, trying to help our homes to be built on a solid foundation. Except the Lord build the house. See, when the Lord builds, when the Lord, the word to build literally means to rebuild. So the Lord builds, the Lord establishes, the Lord rebuilds the house, except he does it, he says, it's all in vain. We are obsessed in America with the product that sometimes the process is missed. Most homes are built on a weak foundation. And those who attend the house of faith can reverse the cycle. And all God's people said, we can reverse the cycle. We don't have to repeat the sins that we're seeing outside of the church, inside the church. Um, you know, many of you have, have grown up plowing fields and you've grown up doing things with a tractor and I've done a little bit of that but when you plow, I heard this a long time ago when you plow, you look at one object straight across the field and you go straight otherwise you're going to have a very crooked row because you know, the back end of that tractor moves and everything shifts and, and you know, sometimes you hit a rock and, and, and sometimes the tire hits something but if you stay focused, you'll plow a straight row and if you look straight across the other side, you'll plow a straight row. And you can't plow a row straight if you keep shifting your focus. And sometimes when we're, when we're trying to raise our family in the faith, we're trying to build on a solid foundation, there's so many things pulling for our attention and, uh, and so many things that are driving for our attention. But you know what? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. They labor in vain that build it. If there were some people that needed spiritual help this week, there was places that needed to be, things that needed to be done, and things even around here that needed to be done. And uh, it was Friday, and I went over and visited some uh, man I'm trying to help and encourage. And, and he said, he said, you know, tomorrow's the best day. He said, you've got to go to the fair with your kids tomorrow. And I said, but you know what? We've got things we're doing tomorrow. <laughs> We've got people in the house of faith we're helping tomorrow, and this year we're not going to do that. Why? Because uh, we just got other things we're doing. And uh, there's people that need help. Matter of fact, this afternoon I got go to go. The I got to go visit somebody in the hospital. Um, drive an hour and a half to go visit somebody and help them. People need help. People need help. And uh, and so uh, we talked about what we were going to do and priorities. And I said, man, look, the priority in my life is going to be the kingdom of God this week. A solid foundation. Uh, When the Lord builds, when the Lord rebuilds. We're obsessed so much with things we see around us. Uh, Look, you can't mow the lawn neat if you keep focused on random weeds in the grass. And sometimes as parents, we're so focused on the random weeds that we miss the general direction, okay? There is a general direction. Okay, I've noticed something, too, about my, my precious children. Every time somebody comes to live with us in the house, whether it be just a relative for a few days, okay or whether it be an intern for the whole summer, whatever it is, their behavior immediately changes. It's not, it's just because they figure out how to get away with things. They figure out daddy's distracted. Mommy's distracted, okay? Um, they, they find somebody to twist a little bit, okay? And their behavior changes, and all of a sudden, a new behavior comes out. And uh, it's like, it's called the grandma's disease, okay? My wife used to get it when she would go visit her grandma. Nothing wrong with the grandparents. It's just the grandma disease, okay? And uh, by the way, grandparents, uh, if you have a, a child that goes ahead and, uh, you know, helps helps that out of the child, uh, don't be harsh on that child. Uh, encourage the child in the process. Um, the child needs to, they need to raise their own kid in the faith, and sometimes that, that means they're going to do things uh, to help them. And... Um, that takes a single-minded devotion. We've learned, you know what, the child's behavior may change for a week or so, uh, but uh, let's go ahead and address it. Um, let's go ahead and address it again, and let's deal with it. It takes a single-minded devotion uh, to accomplish a task. Haven't you found, found this out true in your life? And James supports this. A double-minded man, what does the Bible say? He is what? Unstable, Unstable in all his ways. So we can't build a, build a house on five foundations, and we can't build on shifting sand. It takes a single-minded devotion. You say, what's the most important thing that could happen in our home this week? That we love Jesus. That we put God first in everything. If we don't do it this week, that we do it again next week. That we get back to the basics. That's the most important thing. Uh, It it doesn't mean... Raising a family of faith, it's a full-time job, and it it doesn't mean we quit our other work and only focus on our family. We can't quit the, the work that we need to do provide. But he says, he says, speaking of this, he says, It is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, and eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. God gives rest in the home when the home is built around his word. Because it says happy, in verse 5, is the man. Happy is the man. Uh, the children need to see that we can merge these things together. That the job, and somehow the house of faith, and somehow our daily life, Uh, The grace of God can be merged together where the priorities never conflict. Where whatever is the most important always is predominant and preeminent in our lives. The kids never doubt what is most important to us. Where our kids see us handle the difficult job with grace. You say, Do we always do it that way? Of course we don't. But where they see that we can learn how to deal with something because we heard a sermon and it helped us and then we applied it because faith comes, that's where I've got my help is from hearing the Word of God. We heard it, we got help. In our personal daily devotions, we heard it, we got help, and it helped us, it changed us. You say, What do we do if somebody says they don't, the kid says they don't like my Bible? We say, You know what, child, this, the Word of God is the only thing that's helped me. I haven't found answers in the world. It's only in the Word of God. Uh, they need to see Daddy can hear a sermon and know Daddy was obedient to the Word of God. If this book changes us, it will change them. There's way more of a chance it will change them. But if it doesn't change us, uh, it doesn't change us, it, why are we expecting it to change them? Amen? And so, Lord, help me to be changed so that others might see Christ in me. Amen? Parents, this is tough. and, and This is tough. And... For many who are now grandparents, it's tough. But look, how do we influence the grandchildren? They need to see the book is changing us. They need to see the book is helping us, that the Word of God has changed our life. You say, how do we say that? Hey, if it wouldn't have been I listened to the Word of God, I would have never been right here. If it wouldn't have been I listened to the Word of God, God would have never done that. The foundation affects the outcome. Jesus referred to the wise man and the foolish man. He said, one built on a good foundation, on the rock, the other one built on shifting sand. And the floods of life are coming, just like we've seen throughout. If you're watching a little bit, there's floods going around, right? Nine inches in like an hour. And out in Death Valley, which I have been out there in California, I mean, the entire road washed away in this place that's parched, dry, hot desert. And these people are having to drive in a four-wheel drive vehicle, and they can barely get through it. uh, Because why? The roads have washed away. The floods of life had come, the shifting sands. There's a, even a, uh, there's a ghost town, and my wife loves ghost towns. And when we were out in California, she loved to go out and explore old ghost towns. And there's this uh, place called Cerro Gordo that's a closed ghost mine, and somebody bought it. And the guy's trying to restore it. Well, just two weeks ago, after he's dumped millions of dollars into that place, his entire road washed out, and he couldn't even drive an excavator down it. I mean, that's how bad it was. He had to rebuild the entire road. All the sand went down, and all that was left was the rock. But the rock stood. You know, when the life goes, man, when everything goes, the sand is going to shift away. We need a foundation. We need a foundation. The floods of life are coming. A solid foundation. Let's look at some aspects of this foundation this morning. Letter A, speaking of this foundation, it is built on the fear of the Lord. It is built on the fear of the Lord. I heard a, a quiet amen over here in the amen corner. It is built on the fear of the Lord. Man, verse 1 of chapter 128. I know we're in the north. They don't say amen up here much. Now, look, I don't want us to become like the Hispanic church I was at. I served at for a while. And uh, some of the dear brothers, they'd get up during the message. And you ever been in one of these kind of a Hiles-style church? And they'd all get up and they'd slap the Bible, and say, amen. And they would be so loud. And it was almost obnoxious. Okay, we don't want to be that loud. But it's okay to say amen. It means I agree. Uh, and that I agree with what God is saying. Verse 1 of Psalms 128, by the way, this is in context with 127. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For he shall eat of the labor of thine hands, happy shall thou be, and it shall be, would you say the next phrase with me, well with thee. He says, by the way, Lining up with Psalms 127, verse 2, it talks about it's vain to labor. It's vain to labor, he says. Now, going back into into this chapter, he says, Thou shalt eat of the labor of thine hands. And he ties that in with verse 5 of chapter uh, 127. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife, in verse 3, it says, shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, and thy children like olive plants around about thy table. Thy children, like olive plants, around about thy table. They're going to be productive. Bless, It says, verse 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem. How long? All the days of thy life. Now this was written to the Israelites, but we can take it and we can apply the Scripture to our own life. Verse 6, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, take this verse to the bank. You can cash this check. It will not bounce. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. We're reading somebody else's mail. This was not written directly to us. It was written to the Israelites, but it applies directly to us if we'll take the word of God because all the word of God is profitable for instruction. He says, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. God wants us to build on a solid foundation, built on the fear of the Lord. I've been reading this book and I... A few weeks ago, I said I was going to mention some things out of it, and I didn't. I ran out of time. But this book is called A Treasury of Vance Havner, and my mom gave it to me as a birthday gift this year. And um, I think my mom and my mother-in-law are in competition every year. A few days before my birthday, a package arrives, and uh, they don't know that each other sending it. And uh, uh, my mother-in-law sent me some things for survival because I think she thinks we're living in the end times. And uh, and uh, my mom sent me things for spiritual uh, survival. And she's, it says in this book, by the way, this man, Vance Havner, his daddy was called to preach but rejected the call of God. And his daddy, he said, lived with regret his entire life that he had not followed the fact that God called him to preach. He knew, daddy knew God called him to preach, but daddy rejected that call and he lived with that regret But what Daddy did is he served faithfully in the church. He helped the pastor. He was the pastor's right-hand man. And you know what Daddy wound up doing? Daddy wound up raising a son in the faith who went on and pastored. Went on and served and went around as a revivalist, as an evangelist, and as a preacher, as a prophet serving. And Vance Havner was heavily influenced by his father. He speaks of how his father every week would have a visiting preacher or an evangelist in their home for hospitality and lodging. Every week. And this young man was heavily influenced because his parents spoke positively of the house of faith. He speaks in his book from his own experience. He says there's a wave of mass evangelism. We thank God for it. It sends a backwash of blessings to the churches. For the church members are converted and sinners are saved. It's part of God's program. But he said, this is what happens. He says, the people get saved... They return to their church where most of the members, he says, and officers and workers have not been moved at all. And these awakened members are like hot coals on cracked ice. And The church has no revival and is in no condition to receive them. He said it's like putting a baby in a refrigerator, whereas another has said it's like turning a newborn child over to someone who, however well-intentioned, lacks the love of a mother who gave the child birth. He said true church revival is where the church hatches and mothers her own chicks. That's why it's so important that we send young men off to train for the ministry. That's why it's so important that we see people saved here that go on and serve Jesus with their life. That's why it's so, parents that our children in this room. You say, "Well, it'd be great. It'd be great if all of my daughters married preachers and went in the ministry." You say the reason a lot of people don't want to marry a preacher, and the reason people a lot of people don't want to go in the ministry is because they don't want to live on ministry salary. But my friend, maybe if we would get our children behind. Behind that, it might encourage them to support it. Uh, I wonder who's going to support Kamari when he grows up and he becomes a pastor or really one day or whatever God leads him to do. Who's gonna, which young people are going to come behind him and his friends, his, his, his peers? Who are, who's going to support him and help him? Who's going, to, who's going to help him be able to serve the Lord full time? There's a wave of church activity today, but it's not revival Church membership, church building, and church attendance and church work are at an all-time high, he says, but the morals of the country are at an all-time low. By the way, I do not care how many people we have in church if the people are not revived, okay? Uh, What we're seeking to do is seeking to establish and disciple young men and young ladies who will serve Jesus who will raise a family of faith for the glory of God, who will raise their children up in the home and read them a a devotional every day, who will read them out of the Bible and as Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, teach them the word of God and that's so rare that that ever happens and it would completely reverse our generation if we would do it and we're believing God to help us to do it, that the next generation, these children that are coming up right now, would grow up and love and serve Jesus and raise families of faith and it would truly send us a revival. He talks about how Churches are busy. And by the way, I've noticed as a pastor, sometimes I get judged for whether we're busy enough, okay? We gave up on that a long time ago. We're not trying to compete with the Joneses for busyness. If you want a busy church, there's busy churches everywhere. There's only so many things that my wife and I can do until other people come and help and serve to make the other things happen. Okay? And even if other people are serving, we can get so many activities on the roster that we say we're spiritual because we have activities, when really revival is when our hearts are being stirred and young people are going off to serve Jesus Christ. Uh, when the lives are being changed, when our youth are growing up to, to be pure and stay pure and love Jesus and walk in the Word of God with the fear of God. Um, look, the world doesn't have the answers. They're still searching. And this young man, by the way, in the book as I was reading, he surrendered to preach at the age of 12, preached his first sermon. He had to stand on a chair. He must have been short like me. When I was 12 or 13, man, all the other girls in the, in, the, in the youth choir and the boys, they were way up here, and I was way down here. Okay, I was a little short guy, and my brother, we were little twins right there, real short, and everybody else was really tall. And you know what? He must have been a really short man. But Vance Havener was 12, and his daddy got such a burden for him. His daddy found a friend who had a Ford, model Ford, you know, vehicle back when vehicles were just coming out. And that friend took them from church to church, and Vance Havner went and preached in three, three churches almost every Sunday as a 12-year-old. And his little Baptist church ordained him to preach. And he went and preached in every church that would let him in. And you know what? God used this young man. He used him as an itinerant preacher. And he's, he felt that God called him more to be a prophet than to be a pastor. And, and, and by the way, I don't take that as a mystical way. He stayed true to the Bible. Um but he was just—he called the nation back to repentance. And uh, he, was not, he was not tied into all the organizations and everything. He, he just wanted to serve Jesus and serve the Word of God. And I've enjoyed reading his life, and I'm enjoying reading this book. I'm about halfway through it, and just really loving it. Um, built on the fear of the Lord. and He describes in his home how the fear of God was prevalent. The fear of the Lord. The, I, I learned years ago that the world doesn't have answers. They're still searching. They're still searching. I remember my neighbor, who is now... Passed on, His name was Mr. Littleton. Mr. Littleton, I was a young man. I was only 13. I just came back from the prayer events where I got saved and got converted. Tried explaining that to my family. They didn't understand because I'd made a profession of faith at age five. But you know what? There was a total change in my heart. I went back and I apologized to my sister. I apologized to my brother. I wanted to get right with everybody. There was repentance, okay? That's a change, a sign of a change. And then you know what? There was a time of cleansing and walking with Jesus. And I remember going back to the little town, Lincoln, Maine, and Mr. Littleton, across the street. I told him, I said, Mr. Littleton, I surrendered to be a preacher. We were talking about things. And I said, this is 22 years ago. I surrendered to be a pastor. And he said, uh, oh, and we were talking about this and that. And by the way, Mr. Littleton lived with his wife, and he wasn't married. And uh, he said, uh, he was telling me, you know, young man, you just got to go experience and try everything. Got to go try everything. And I said, you know what, I'm going to date in purity. I'm going to have a chaperone. I'm going to do things right. And he said, no, young man, you don't need to do that. You've got you to gotta test the way of the world. You've got to test, test, test. And I said to him, I said, Mr. Littleton, I don't believe that's in the Bible. And I remember telling that to Mr. Littleton, as a little 13-year-old, when he was trying to influence me. By the way, parents, the kids, the neighbors, the people in society try to influence our children, don't they? And they push strong. And I remember Mr. Littleton telling me that. And now as a, as a, a young man who's now a little bit older, I look back on that and I say, thank God. I didn't follow Mr. Littleton's advice. I would have never been able to preach to youth in my teenage years. I would have never been able to teach youth on purity in my 20s. Why? Because I wouldn't have lived it. See, I wouldn't have been able to influence others. You can't influence others when we don't live it ourselves. It's built on the fear of the Lord. It's built on the fear of the Lord. And you know, it's because of the fear of God, it's a miracle that any of us stay in the faith. And the fear of the Lord brings blessing. Rules are not a curse. God has rules. And our kids ought to fear God more than they fear us. They'll be more inclined to fear the Lord if they see that we fear him. Our kids need to see that we weep over our own sin and then we change. They need to see the fear of God has changed our life, that we're actually genuinely as parents, as adults, as grandparents, that we are genuinely afraid because God said it, we're not going to do it. Okay. God said don't do it, we're not going to try it. Built on the fear of the Lord. They need to see a fear of God. And by the way, it speaks that there is a generation that has no fear of God. and We're in that generation. So a family of faith is built on a good foundation of the fear of the Lord. A family of faith is also built on hard work. It's built on the hard work. Verse 2 speaks of this in both chapters. But in verse 2 of chapter 128, he says, For thou shalt eat... Not the labor of somebody else's hands. The labor of thine hands. There's nothing more fun than working and getting something from it. Planting something and getting something from it. Uh, Work is essential. Hard work is essential. By the way, one of the Ten Commandments speaks of this. Six days shall ye, what does he say? Labor. Labor. And do all thy work, and the seventh is a day of rest. By the way, Vance Havaner says, uh, speaking of his life, the family knew Sabbath. Uh, Susanna Wesley, who influenced the Wesley brothers, who started the Methodist church. Susanna Wesley was heavily strong on this in her home, and the children grew up in the home of Samuel and Savannah, uh, knowing that Sabbath was a special day. It was a different day, and they truly learned to fear the Lord. Built by hard work um, hard work is essential you'll never find a man in the Bible who was blessed for laziness Psalms 128 verse, eight, verse 2 says thou shalt eat of the labor of thine own hands he says of thine hands and happy shalt thou be and it shall be well with thee you know there's no better sleep than the sleep of hard work um, and the sleep of honesty as well and you know I've taken this verse to the bank and deposited the check and it never bounced Hard work pays off. It does. Uh, you know, something simple that we try to do in our home, it's something just little, but it's a big deal for us. We kind of celebrate it when the baby starts to carry their own diaper to the trash can. Okay? That started at about, uh, about two months ago with Eliza. It was a big deal to us. Like, that's something we, we want to have happen. And we clap and we cheer when that happens, and it's like, Yay! Okay, now there's some that I do not let her carry. All right? They're very defiled. But she does not understand when Daddy does that. It's confusing. Because she picks up the diaper and the wipes, brings them to us, okay? She does it every morning at a predictable time. She wakes up and does it, okay? And about 7 a.m. man, she's she's got the two right there and she's ready, okay? And she brings them and she knows you know what she wants. And then when she gets uh, taken care of immediately, reaching for that. And going straight on a, like a B. And, and by the way, she wasn't disciplined to make that happen. It was just, she's at the young, moldable age. It, it's easy to make it fun. And you just call them over. You know, for us, it's so much fun. Why? Because they're learning a little bit of work. A little bit of work at a very young age. And it, it helps later on when other things need to be done, if they've learned how to do a little bit of work. And that's not child abuse, to teach your child how to carry something. They'll pick up a toy that's far heavier than that all day long and carry it around. They'll drag their blankie everywhere they go, okay? Um, It's built by hard work. And, you know, every day I bring my lunchbox home, when I bring it home, she does something that none of the other children have done quite as well as she does. Okay? She's daddy's little girl, all right? But um, she walks right over to it and opens it up. And I don't know how the little child opens it. She's done this for a long time. She'll open it up, and she starts pulling all the water bottles out and wants to bring them right up. And I need to go to the sink and fill them up. I mean, if I don't, she'll make sure that I do, okay? I need to go straight over to the sink, and she wants all those things filled up and passing them right one after the other. And then when it's the ice, walk right over to the fridge, and she knows where it goes, okay? She wants it to go in there. And, and the water bottles that are full, she walks over to the fridge with them. She wants them to go in the fridge because she knows they're full. Uh, it's fun for me to see that happen with a little child. Why? Because they're learning a little bit of work at a young age. And they, they really are. It's, it's so much fun uh, in the home if they, they learn how to work a little bit. And so it's built on hard work. He says, by the labor of your own hands shall you eat your bread. Okay? By hard work. Um, we could learn a lot from other societies that do this. Built on the fear of the Lord, built by hard work. and uh, Look at this other aspect, built by a faithful marriage. This is really good. Verse 3. Thy wife, this is Psalms 127. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the size of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round thy table. Bible speaks of this Christian home. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. But then he says... Your wife's going to be a diligent individual. But by the way, this is not to push the women down. Men, that means we be diligent too. Okay? Thy wife shall be a fruitful vine. The husband obviously ought to be a productive individual himself. The wife is a product of the husband, and the husband is a product of the wife. Did you guys get that? Should I say it again? The wife is a product of the husband. The husband is a product of the wife. Um, that's why you should marry a Christian. Make sure, most important thing, uh, fearing the, Lord of, the word of God. Fearing God. Um, Notice in the same verse it mentions the fruit from the godly woman. It also speaks of kids who are productive. A solid foundation cannot be built on unbelief. Uh, And sometimes in great haste. Look, this is what we spend our lives in ministry. We're trying to help our society and our community. But aren't most homes, maybe somebody got saved or they got close to God, and then they marry somebody who's not saved, and, and then they try to figure it out for the rest of their lives. And, and we've all experienced the pain of trying to either help, or maybe you personally experienced that pain. And look, when you're in the faith, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And, and by the way, if you're in the faith in, 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 in the room, and you're in the faith, and the other person's not in the faith, pray for them. But if you are not in the faith and you're in the room, the most loving thing you could do to your spouse would be to come to a place where you turn from your own way and you start trusting Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the greatest home is a Christian home that's built around the word of God, a faithful marriage. You cannot produce fresh water out of the same place where there's dirty water and clean water. It's time to put our faith in Christ. And a home that's solid is a home that's built, and both individuals are saved. Um, There needs to be a genuine repentance that's happened. Um, Look, it's easy to explain away, isn't it? I find this happens a lot. We explain away. We said, you know what? That individual, that child, that person, they prayed the prayer. And we automatically, I mean, a young man will get happy if he dates and marries somebody that's just prayed the prayer. Uh, The young lady will do the same. And sometimes we rush things in life. And it's built by a faithful marriage. And both need to have a genuine change of heart, genuine love for the word of God. They need to love the word of God more than themselves. A faith-filled marriage. And if you've walked through the pain of of having to live in a situation like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It needs to be built on faith. A solid foundation is not built on unbelief. And um, 70% of those uh, that we've helped Uh, In life, and even every place I've lived and worked around the world, helping in other countries, 12 other countries, the same situations. Um, uh, uh, Somebody rushed into marriage with an unsaved individual expected to reap a good harvest. And so, uh, look, if if the girl doesn't love the book more than you do, she's not worthy to be your wife. Boys, if she doesn't love the Bible more than she loves you, she's not worthy to be your wife. And boys, I mean girls, if the boy mocks and picks at the pastors and leaders, he'll never be a good leader himself. He picks at everybody else. Every other leader's not good enough. The boss is all bad. Everybody's all bad. He's good. You watch out. He'll not be a good leader. The home needs to be built on a solid foundation, a faithful marriage. He says, your wife's going to be like a fruitful vine, producing fruit. Um, it's time to let the Lord build back into the process and let him be the one who builds the house. Look, every, every home is not the same. Every child does not turn out the same in the home. And... Um, Look, God called me into the ministry. People often ask me, they say, "Uh, was your dad in the ministry? He's not in church anymore. Okay? He's not in church anymore. But the things that I saw in this book, this is what keeps me in the faith. You need to be connected to Jesus. And you know what? Bitterness will keep you from the house of faith. Uh, hard feelings will keep you from the house of faith. The most important thing you can give to your home is to let it be a home built on a firm foundation. Except the Lord, build the house. They labor in vain that build it. By the way, growing up, every single place we would go, we'd visit a church to go visit my grandma. We'd drive two hours to go visit grandma. On Sunday morning, we would go to a church. Every place we went, you know what everybody asked my dad? Are you a preacher? Everybody, everywhere we went, because the kids were obedient, because the kids could sing. We would get up in every church, we'd sing. My mom would play the piano, we'd sing. Everybody thought my dad was a pastor. And look, my friends, all I say that is to you to say this, I love my dad, and my dad loves me. There's no way to put him down. You understand this? If you're going to, we're going to reverse some generational cycles. We're going to have to not repeat some generational sins, okay? And a faithful marriage is essential in the process. Um, that we both be in the faith. That the home be built on the faith. And the home needs a solid foundation. And that the children grow up to love Jesus that the children grow up to truly come to a place where they've repented of their sin and turn to the Savior, not just pray to sinner's prayer. Um, I can't tell you how many times I meet a parent and they're like, my kid's saved. I'm like, I don't want to say anything rude, right? My friend, maybe maybe if we would get to a place where we actually believe that they're lost, it would get us on our knees where we would beg God to save their soul, and God would send a revival. Maybe that's what we need. Instead of saying, God, you know, I think they're saved. I think they're saved. They just need to come back to church. Maybe, God, would you bring them to a place where they turn from their own way and they repent and turn to Jesus? You say, but if they're on their way to hell, that's a scary thought. It would be far better for them to get saved in this life than to believe that they're saved in this life and for them to perish in eternal fire. And we need to pray that the kids get in the faith. And look, um, it's the most, I can't tell you, uh, how many times I hear this over and over again, and, and so many believing, you know, we're, we're saved, they're saved, they're saved, they're saved. All, the, all these people are all saved. Everybody's saved. And uh, even in my siblings that are running from God, they've convinced folks around them they're saved. They're not saved, my friend. You're, you're, when you're saved, there's fruit. When you're saved, there's fruit. When you're saved, there's a change. When Jesus comes into the life, he makes all things new. And it's built by a faithful marriage, a family of faith. By the way, that's why our culture is attacking this word right there on the bottom. They're attacking it and all the forces of hell are against that one word on the bottom right there and trying to redefine that word. But you know what? Sometimes we're so worried about the redefinition of that word. The most important thing, the reason why sometimes those young people are going into alternate lifestyles is because they haven't seen a happy marriage. They need to see happy, happy, happy is he. Look back in verse 5 as we close. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Happy is the man who has kids. Okay? And verse 2 Happy shalt thou be. Chapter 128 Happy shalt thou be. I want happiness in my home. Okay? Happiness is not the result of us uh, reading a book, um, meeting with a psychiatrist. It's just the result of us meeting with Jesus and and, and choosing to love like Jesus loves. And then choosing to esteem his words, as David says in Psalms 119, above our necessary food. Where the word of God literally is the the only thing that's important in our home. And every kid knows it that grows up in our home, what's important. The kids see that that's important. Man, it'll change their lives. When they see that we love this book, say, What can I do? Daddy, what you can do is get this book out, dust it off, and read it. Read it to the kids. Only take about five minutes or less. Read it. You say, what if I don't understand it? Let's study it together. Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They're going to get information from the world. They're going to get it from school. They need to get it from this book and more from this book than they get from any other place. A faith-filled home. Let's believe God to help us to build on a solid foundation for the glory of God. Thank you for listening so well this morning. I, I went a little short a few weeks ago. Today went a little long. Y'all listen so well. Let's, let's stand for prayer. And uh, let's ask God to help us with this. And ask God to help us that we might have families of faith for the glory of God. What does a family of faith look like? A solid foundation built on the fear of the Lord, built by hard work, built by a faithful marriage. And maybe this morning you would just pray that God might help that you, that your kids might have the fear of God, the grandkids might develop the fear of God, I believe it would be appropriate that we pray for our homes, we pray for our grandkids, we pray for our great-grandchildren, that they grow up to fear God, diligent, hard work, and a, a faithful marriage, that we might glorify God. Man, I want a good foundation for this next generation. I want my kids to grow up in the faith, loving Jesus, loving Jesus with all of their heart. I don't care if they win the American Idol's talent show. I don't care if they get a, good, a job that pays amazingly. No, they just need to love Jesus and love this Bible because, because we're going to all spend eternity one place, heaven or hell, and I want them to care about eternity. May that be said in our homes. We cared about eternity so much that we built on an eternal foundation. Father, you've seen in our hearts and you know our hearts. And as David said in Psalms 139, search me, O God, know me, try my heart, and see if there be any iniquity in me. And Lord, every one of us needs help. Uh, our society is crumbling around us, and we need help. Uh, those who attend the house of faith, we need help that we might be a, not only a good example, but that we might be solid ourselves in the faith. And Lord, may we right now do des- make decisions with you, do business with heaven, that we might impact this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray if there be one in the house that's not yet repented, not yet turned to Christ for salvation, that they wouldn't leave the room until they turned to Christ and that you would convict and you would move. And we thank you for what you are doing in our hearts, Lord. We're believing you to do great things. As the piano begins to play, would you take a moment to do business with God? Would you step out from where you're at and would you kneel and ask God to help you? Would you lift your hands to the God that sees and knows, Lord, I need thee. Lord, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Would you ask God for help today? I believe God wants to move. He wants to work in our hearts. Would you ask him? Young people, would you ask God to give you a godly mate? Would you ask God to give you somebody that fears God, that follows God fervently, loves him with all their heart? just a moment would you pray with somebody beside you would you just lean over and say would you pray with me let's pray and ask God to help us to stay in the faith to follow Jesus would you find somebody right around you would you pray with them pray for one another take a moment pray for one another